Feast. Today's actually the last week in this series. So if you're jumping in with us today, I encourage you to go back and listen to the first two messages. We started out this kind of conversation with the idea and the understanding that around the holidays, oftentimes our life gets magnified. You know, if we've got a really good life, if we've got a smoking hot wife, praise the Lord, come on somebody, favor ain't fair. You realize around the holidays that the good is magnified. But then the opposite is also true because sometimes we had a rough year. We said bye to a loved one that we didn't know we'd have to say bye to so soon. Our, our, our marriage ended in divorce. We don't have a healthy relationship with our children. And, and so the holidays come up, and while it should be a joyous occasion, there's a heaviness to it. Because whether good, bad, or ugly, our life is magnified. And, and so we talked the first week that we're going to overcome offenses. Like as followers of Jesus, we gave up our right to be easily offended. And, and we're choosing to say that our life is too short and our calling is too big to live offended. And then last week, we declared, shame off you. I, I was getting messages all throughout the week that people were being set free. Praise the Lord. Because there's so much that the enemy has lied to us, even as Jesus followers, that's withholding us from truly living in the freedom and the fullness of life that Jesus promised. In Joshua 5, 9, we read, today I've rolled away the shame of Egypt. And we talked about how Jesus is rolling away the shame of our life, the shame of our past, so we can truly be in the freedom and the fullness that he's called us to. Today, if you're taking notes, I've titled the message, A New Name. A new name. I want to end this series talking about the power of our words and the reality that our words actually have the ability to speak life or death. And if we're not careful, our past, our, our ghosts of Christmas past will actually cause us to curse the very thing that God is using to bless us in the season we're currently in. You know, think about the power of words for a minute. Did you know that words actually have the power to create? They have the power to motivate. Like, I'm just saying, y'all, some days in the gym, I need a little bit more motivation than I currently am getting. Thank you, Bill Baker, for being my gym buddy. They have the power to encourage. Y'all know those moments when you're having a bad day and Someone just says something to you and they uplift your spirit. They encourage you. They have the power to shape the, the words. And, and that's why I took that moment and I actually got emotional when I was talking about Jameson because I'm also raising a son. And I realized the weight of the words that we are speaking over our children now are shaping their future. But here's what the words also have the power to do. They have the power to hurt. They have the power to wound. They have the power to discourage and the power to destroy. How many of y'all have ever heard this phrase? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Can I rewrite that for a minute? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can possibly kill you. 
Like, I don't know when we told parents that was a good phrase to tell our kids. Like, I remember I was a, a immature, didn't have self-esteem, sensitive middle schooler. Like, I just got to be honest for a minute. I was a nerd. Y'all like, Pastor, you're still a nerd. All right, hey. It got me college scholarships. Thank you, Jesus. But in middle school, like, I was the most, and I'd come home, it felt like almost every day crying because somebody said something that hurt me. And there's that phrase again, Michael, you know, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. What do you mean? That's got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And today, I, I get questions all the time. Pastor, why do we think anxiety and depression and suicide rates are so high now than they've ever been in the course of human history? Can I tell you something? It's because we have access to this thing called words more than we ever had before. There's this tool called social media. There's nothing social about it. I'm just going to be honest. People are sitting behind a screen writing words and they've believed the lie that words will never hurt. And so they're posting things or they're saying things. And on the other side of a screen, maybe five miles down the road or 500,000 miles across the earth, somebody else is reading it. They're comparing their life to the words being spoken. And now that person's soul is on the edge because they're not sure if they're choosing life or death. And I can tell you the Bible backs it up. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue, your words have the power of life and death. Don't tell me words will hurt. They won't just hurt. They can lead to life or they can lead to death. And, and you know this to be true because whatever words were spoken over you have impacted the way you live your life. We've got a lot of high school and middle school students in the room, and I love that because our youth group is exploding and it's overflowing into Sunday mornings. Come on, somebody. But right now, as a middle schooler or a high schooler, you know this. The words that you're constantly hearing from your teachers, from your parents, from your coaches are what you begin believing. And any adult in the room can tell you that whatever words were spoken over them as they grew up have impacted them to where they are today. If you grew up in a household with really encouraging parents, you're probably an encourager today. You're probably chasing your dreams. You probably think that nothing can stop you from accomplishing what God has called you to do. But the reality is also true if you grew up in a home where mom and dad weren't as supportive and you felt like you never measured up. And you felt like you were never good enough. And all you heard was, are you just going to be like this for the rest of your life? Are you going to be lazy? Are you going to be this? Are you going to be that? And you begin to believe these lies day after day, year after year. And we've got to understand, church, that as followers of Jesus, many of us are going to miss out on experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus has for us because we're still struggling in the present with words, labels, and names that were placed on us in our past. But we've got to give those names a new name. Like maybe these are some names you've received, or, or maybe even as parents, if you're honest, that you've realized, maybe I've spoken these over my kids. You're lazy. You're insecure. You're sensitive. You're just bad relationally. 
Or what about this label that's been placed on too many families? You're a dysfunctional family. I just got to be, find me a functional family, okay? Because <laughs> I don't know if there are any. <laughs> You're hot-headed. You're arrogant. You're prideful. You're annoying. You're just too much. And here's what I've learned about names. And as I write, wrote that list this week and I began to pray through it, we've got to be honest because the reality is true. Some of those names we've given ourselves. Like middle school boys, sometimes the, the reason your parents call you lazy is because you won't get off Fortnite and take the trash out. All right. Sometimes people give us the name prideful or arrogant because the reality is true. You're just prideful and arrogant. But here's one thing I know to be true. What's true about you now does not have to be true about you later. And so if you don't like the name you've been given, change it. If you don't like that thing being spoken over you, do something a little bit different. You don't have to accept What's true about you now, you don't have to go, oh, yeah, I'm going to just be lazy. I'm just going to, this is going to be my life. No, change it. Change that name. God's power is bigger than your past. And this is true. God's power is bigger than your present. He can change anything. I want to look at Genesis chapter 35. If you've got your Bible, turn there with me. Uh, cheat code, if you don't know where to find it, it's the first book in your Bible. And we're going to be in chapter 35. I just want to read a little bit of scripture and then I want to break it down because there, there's so much in here. And it's so powerful if we don't look at it. I want to give some context as y'all are turning there. Genesis 35, we're going to be in verses 16 through 18. But I want to lay some groundwork. So there's this man named Jacob, okay? Jacob's out in a field. He's working hard, and he notices that there's this lady across the field, and she's just beautiful. Like, that's how I feel when I see my wife all the time. I'm like, man, she's beautiful. And Jacob sees this woman, and he's like, I want her to be my wife. And, and, all right, we got to be honest. The Bible is hilarious, okay? Like, turn off Kevin Hart and open God's word, all right? Because I, I want you to notice this. The Bible calls Rachel a lovely figure and says she was beautiful. All right? But she also had a sister. And listen to this. This is what the Bible said about her, her sister Leah. Leah had weak eyes. Like, that's all she got. Like, Rachel's lovely, beautiful, this model, that model, whatever. Yeah, Leah was a nerd that wore glasses and had weak eyes. All right, let me put it this way. Rachel was the good-looking daughter. Leah was the one with the good personality. Like, that's how the, like, the Bible's hilarious. It's so honest. And so Jacob's like, I don't want the good personality. I want what's pleasing to my eyeballs. And he says, I want Rachel. So he goes to the dad and says, hey, I want to marry your daughter. What do I have to do? Dad says, work for me for seven years. And so he works for seven years. And then dad comes up with this plan. I, it's going to be easy to find a man that wants to marry my good looking daughter, but good personality still deserves a husband. So dad pulls the switcheroo. Jacob ends up marrying the good personality and he's not happy. He's like, really, bro? I wanted Rachel. 
what do I have to do to marry Rachel? And the dad says, work for me for seven more years. Can I tell you how in love with Rachel Jacob, he worked 14 years just to be able to call Rachel his bride. 14 years. And some of y'all be complaining because you don't get a follow back. <laughs> Drop them, move on. There's plenty more fish in the sea. Find you a man that's going to work 14 years for you. And then they get married. And then here's where it gets even more interesting. Leah, you know, the good personality one, she's able to have all these kids. Like, Leah just looks at the man and she's pregnant. Like, magic. Rachel and Jacob can't conceive. They can't get pregnant. And they, they want kids, but they can't have any. And so they're praying and they're like, I want it. And, and Rachel starts comparing herself to her sister and all this stuff. And then finally, they have a kid. And the story we're going to pick up on in today's Scripture is actually the second child that Rachel and Jacob are about to bring into this world. In Genesis 35, verse 16, the word of God says, Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth, and she had great difficulty. Every woman in the room says, Amen, birth is difficult. But for Rachel, this was an even greater difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in child, let me remind you, they could not have just called in the doctor and said, hey, we need an emergency C-section. Like at this time through childbirth, this was a moment where it was mom or baby, life or death. Who's going to come out of this alive? And Rachel's having great difficulty in childbirth. And the midwife says to her, hey, don't despair. You will have another son. And like at first I read that and I'm like, if I told that to my wife when she was in the middle of labor, hey, don't worry, honey, we having another baby. She's like, no crap. I'm giving birth. But here's why that was important and why it actually would have been encouragement for Rachel, because at the time in culture, a son meant the family name would continue. A son meant the legacy would move on even after her. And so the midwife in this moment of sorrow and trouble where Rachel's about to, to die, she says, hey, Rachel, you're giving birth to a son. Although you may be taking your last breath, your legacy as a family is still going to continue on. And look at verse 18. As she breathed her last breath for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni. But his father named him Benjamin. I want you to see, Rachel named her son one thing, but the father named the son something else. Sometimes culture will name you one thing, but your heavenly father wants to name you something else. As Rachel breathes her last, for she was dying, she names her son Ben-Oni, but his father names him Benjamin, I want you to see this. As she breathes her last breath, her son is breathing his first. And she gives her son the name Ben-Oni. Can I tell you what that name means? Ben means son. Oni means sorrow. Rachel was giving her son, who the midwife just reminded her, your legacy is going to continue on through this child. She's given him the name, the son of my sorrow. 
And if we're honest, it, it makes sense, right, why she would give him this name. It's, it's understandable. Like we could probably, in our mind, justify this name. Like think about this mom is never going to get to feed her son. She's never going to get to comfort him when he cries. She's never going to get to watch him take his first step. She's never going to get to watch him grow up. She's never going to get to watch him hit his first hit on a t-ball game or take his date to prom. None of those things even mattered back then. But hey, the mother is missing out on everything in her son's life. Her son is going to grow up not knowing who his mother is. And so she gives him this name based on what their current circumstance looks like. You're the son of my sorrow. But I want you to know something. Rachel wasn't the only one grieving in this moment. Because although she was taking her last breath and she wanted to name her son based on what she currently saw, there was a man in the room and his name was Jacob. May I remind you, this is the man that worked for 14 years just to be able to marry this woman. And in a moment where they should be celebrating together because they're bringing a son into the world, Jacob's having to say goodbye to his bride, his love of his life, the one that he worked so hard to have. And yet in a moment of sorrow, when Rachel wanted to name the son based on what they currently saw, the father spoke up. Rachel named him Ben-Oni, but the father said, no, his name is Benjamin. Because Jacob understood this, that what may be true in the moment right now won't last forever. What, what the situation is that we're currently looking at, yes, there's sorrow in this room. Yes, there's grief in this room. Yes, there's pain in this room. I am not going to place that name or that label on my son. Because although today is sorrowful, I know one thing, joy comes in the morning. Although I'm looking at a situation that looks dead, I know three days from now, he's going to walk out of that tomb. I may be looking at a situation right now and calling it a curse. But Jacob said, I'm going to see the blessing in the middle of this struggle. And Jacob had some experience with renaming. And oh, I can tell you something. Education and the accumulation of knowledge can only get you so far. But experience and wisdom can take you even further. Like, I want people who have been through hell and back and watched what God's done in their life more than I want a man that sat in seminary for 10 years studying a book. Show me your experience. Show me what God's brought you through. And that's what I'm saying, church. We've got to get rid of the shame because sometimes when we share our past, there's some shame with it until you realize just how free Jesus has made you. And now you can say that's who I was, but let me tell you who I am in Christ Jesus. Jacob had some experience because he actually wrestled with God. And through the night he wrestled with God. And as the, the light was coming up, as the sun was rising, he began begging God for a blessing. Give me a blessing. Bless me, God. Give me a blessing. And can I tell you something? God could not bless him until he gave him a new name. And the Lord said, hmm. Your name was Jacob, which means deceiver, but I've given you a new name, Israel, which means my God prevails. 
Jacob had an experience of renaming. And then what does he do? He actually renames the very ground he was standing on. And he said, this place no longer is called Penuel, or this place will become called Penuel, which means the face of God, because I've seen the face of God and I have lived. So the experience that Jacob goes through, he understands the power of words. He understands the meaning of names. And so Rachel was a grieving mother who wanted to give her son the name Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. Jacob was a grieving father, but he chose to give his son a new name, meaning Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. And at that time in culture, can I tell you what the right hand meant? It was the symbol of blessing. And so Jacob was making the decision. What many would say is a curse in the moment he was choosing to call a blessing. Jacob said, I know what the enemy meant for evil. Oh, but I know my God can turn it around for good. I know this situation isn't what I was hoping for, but I'm not going to give it a name that curses it for the rest of its life. Jacob spoke out. I I want you to see this. If you hear nothing else this morning, take notes, take a picture, write this down. You don't always get to choose what comes into your life, but you do get to choose what you call it. Oh, pastor, I can't make an impact for the kingdom. You don't know what cards I've been dealt. Well, what are you calling your cards? You don't get to choose. What happens all the time? You don't get to choose how much time you got with your spouse before the Lord called them home. You don't always get to choose how much time you have with your kids. You don't always get to choose this, that you don't always get to choose what the diagnosis is the doctor gives you at the hospital, but you do get to choose what you're going to call it. You might say this may look like son of my sorrow, but Jacob said, no, this is actually the son of my right hand because what they see as a curse, I'm seeing as a blessing. We've got to get in the business of renaming things, church. What is it that the enemies tried to steal from you? Can I tell you something? The enemy does three things, steal, kill, and destroy. He ain't stealing nothing from you unless there's something worth stealing. He's not trying to kill you unless there's a life inside of you that's worth killing. And he ain't going to come after you to destroy something unless you're building up the kingdom of God. And so if there's a curse, if there's an attack against your life, I want you to know it's the confirmation and the blessing that God is actually moving and doing something. What are you calling it? Some of you need to take the label off insecure and you need to give yourself a new name today. I'm not insecure. I'm confident in Jesus Christ because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And whether you realize it or not, the Bible did not include that verse for the athletes on a football field. He was in prison when he wrote it. You might need to rename yourself. You're not lazy anymore. God's given you a call and an anointing on your life, and you're motivated now by that calling. You might say, oh, I'm just miserable, Pastor. Life just sucks, is it? Or are you going to rename yourself and say, no, I'm a joy-filled person because the joy of the Lord is my strength. I I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of the heavens and the earth. 
You may say, oh, I'm in a tough season, Pastor. Give it a new name. You ain't in a tough season. God's conforming you into the image of Christ, and it's going to take a crucifixion to get you there. You might say, I'm in a lonely season, Pastor. Are you? Because my Bible says my God will never leave me nor forsake me. So maybe the season you're in right now is a drawing closer to God's season, not a lonely season. You may say, I'm in a season of failure. <laughs> Are you? Because the only time you fail is when you fail to learn. So maybe you're not in a failing season, you're in a learning season. And God's trying to teach you a new thing because sometimes he calls his people to do things that look impossible with man. Can I tell you something? Peter did not know he could walk on water until he took the first step. And some of y'all got dreams and visions in your life that you're going, it's never been done before. Perfect. God's going to show up. Where do you need to give something a new name? Now, some are like, oh, this is just that, you know, wishful thinking. Like, this is more motivation, yada, yada, yada. Remember the scripture I began with, John 1, 42? Peter. <laughs> Jesus walks up to Simon. Simon, son of John, you will be called Peter. I, I want you to see something. Jesus gave him a new name before he ever earned it. Simon means the one who hears. Peter means rock. If you know the gospel, you would know that Peter, the rock, is actually the rock on which the church is built upon. And I just got to be honest, church, from the time that Peter receives his name, it takes him a little while to grow into that name. So am I telling you to look at your situation? Am I telling you to look at your sickness? Am I telling you to look at that label and give it a new name that may not even be what it is yet? Yes. Because sometimes we have to give a new name that needs grown into. Peter didn't deserve the name The Rock. Why? Because all throughout his life he messed up. Oh, he was the one that walked on water, wasn't he? Yes, but he also failed because he took his eyes off Jesus. What kind of rock is that? The one that sinks. Peter's the one that said, oh, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. I'm right here. I'm right by your side, homie. I'm going to death with you. And then Jesus is on his way to be crucified. And what's Peter do? Denies even knowing Jesus. Did Jesus ever change his name? No. He actually gave him his name before he ever lived up to it. I want to tell you, when I was early in ministry, I was working at a homeless shelter. The first sermon I ever preached was to a room of 150 men. I was 18 years old at the time. I'd grown up pretty, you know, middle class, whatever. White boy, obviously. And I was in Nashville. And I, I walk into this room, and I, I got to be honest, y'all. I don't, I think every man in that room was probably old enough to be my dad. And out of the 150 in there, there was 142 ex-cons or men that had just recently been released from prison. And I think talking to you guys, this, this are we having mic problems? Check one. Did y'all hear that or am I hearing things? Check one, two. Hello. Lord. 
We'll see if he says it again. All right. So I'm talking to this room of men and, and I'm like, I have nothing to offer. Like they've all lived a lot of life. And I'm like, Hey guys, I'm the little white boy from down the street. Like God loves you. I did. So I preached and, uh, the, the altar was full. Like people were flooding to get saved. I don't remember the number, but it was like 102, 103. It was more than 100 men gave their life to Jesus that day. And as I was praying over one of the men, he looked up at me and he said, Pastor, you've changed my life. Not once in my sermon did I call myself pastor. And I wrestled with that. I was like, no one's ever called me that before. I, I'm not a pastor. I haven't been to seminary. I, I'm not a pastor. I, what do you mean? And, and so I called some of my mentors up and I vividly remember a conversation that I had. And he said, Michael, the anointing and call on your life is pastor. It's just going to take you some time to grow into it. And didn't Jesus do the same with Peter? Peter, you are the rock, the rock on which I'm going to build my church. But it's going to take some time for you to grow into it. I, I had this vision for service when I was preaching because I felt like they weren't getting it. All right. They didn't have their caffeine yet. And I began to think about planting. And, and if you're going to plant a garden and you go in your backyard and you dig some holes and you go to the store and you buy the, the seeds for all the, the different plants and you plant them and then you have friends over and they go, hey, what are you planting out there? How do we respond? I've got a blueberry bush right there. I've got tomatoes right there. I've got green beans right there. I've got pumpkin right there. I've got squash right there. Do you? Because I see a bunch of dirt. And it hit me. We have the faith to believe that a seed that we place in the ground is going to turn into that bush. So what do we do? We give it a name. It's not a seed anymore. It's a bush. Why is it a bush? Well, because I'm believing that it's going to become a bush. I'm believing it's going to become a tree. Oh, really? Because it's underground and you can't see it. So you're believing for something you can't even see. Well, that's faith. And I began to think about how many people I know that call themselves Christians. And they're looking at their current situation just like Rachel and trying to name it something that it's not. You're saying, oh, I see this. So this is what it's called. Oh, really? Because my God says this. Many of us, here, here's what I'm trying to say. Many of us are waiting for our miracle to happen before we call it a miracle. But what if the miracle is the struggle you're currently in? Some of us are waiting for our healing to ever say that we are healed. Well, well, how can I declare that I'm healed if I'm still sick? Well, my Bible says, by his stripes, I am healed. It doesn't say I'm being healed. It says I am healed. Some of us are waiting for the provision to say that we're blessed. But what if the very life that you're currently looking at is the blessing that you aren't even willing to admit exists? There are some labels in your life that need change. Here's the last one. Some of us are waiting to call upon Jesus as Lord of our life 
until our life looks like what a Christian life should. We're, we're waiting to get cleaned up. We're waiting to overcome the addiction. We're waiting until we don't have the temptation anymore. Jesus doesn't want me as I am. Oh, yes, he does. Because just like Peter, he wants to give you a new name today. And for some of us, it's going to take some time to grow into. So, so you mean, Pastor, I can call out to Jesus today and be saved and, and still struggle with that addiction? Yes, but I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to change to follow Jesus, but following him will change you. And over time, you will become more like Jesus. The closer you get to Jesus, the less that addiction is going to be there. The closer you get to Jesus, the less you're going to be tempted in that way. But don't wait. Don't wait to get the new name God has for you until you think you've earned it. Because there is nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing. I want to tell you right now, God doesn't love you any more or any less than he currently does right now. You come into church today does not mean God loves you more. He loves you the same. Why? Because on that cross is where he displayed his love. And it's never going to change. The question is, our change, are we ready to receive it? Could you imagine what would have happened if Peter said, no, no, Jesus. I'm going to go by Simon for now because I don't feel like I'm the rock. I don't really feel strong. Who knows what would have happened in his life. But he took the name and he received the name and he kept himself as close to Jesus as he could. Did he mess up? Absolutely. But we all do church. But the question is, are you going to allow God to give you that name today? And for others in the room, you may say, Pastor, I'm already saved. And I would ask you this, where do you need to rename some things in your life? Where do you need to take off the old label? And you need to give it a new name so you can truly experience the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, we submit this time to you. Jesus, I praise you. That you love us so much, God, that you came to this earth to be born of a virgin, to, to be born in a manger, knowing that the only mission of your life was death on a cross. Because the only thing on your mind and your heart was us. And God, I thank you that you don't love us any more or any less than you do right now. But because of the cross and because of Jesus, we know that your love is unconditional. So God, I pray if there's anyone in the room today or those joining us online that have not yet submitted their life to Jesus, that today would be their day of salvation. I'm telling you, I think some of you are holding back because you think you have to clean up to come to him. You think, oh, when I get my life in order, I'll come to Jesus. No, no, no. Why wait? He's got a new name for you today. And yes, some of you, it's going to take you some time to grow into that name. But the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. So I want to ask you today, those in the room or online, if you've not yet repented of your sins, submitted your life to him and surrendered your will to the Father, would you do so today? That's a conversation between you and God. 
It can be something super simple as far as, God, I repent of my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I submit my life to you. I surrender my will to you. I'm declaring today that you are Lord of my life for all of my life. Give me the new name. Jesus, I receive the name Son of the Most High King this morning. I receive the name Daughter of the Most High King this morning. Have that conversation with your heavenly father right now because this world has tried to give you a name based on your circumstance. But the father in the room is standing up saying, no, I'm giving you a new name. And for the rest of the house, father, I pray that Holy Spirit would be renaming labels all over this room. Labels of circumstance. Labels of identity. That they would be removed today and replaced with the truth of your word. Labels of brokenness thrown away with a new name called restoration in place. Labels of ugly thrown away with a new name called beautiful in their place. Labels of sickness and disease ripped away with a new label called healed by the blood of Jesus in its place. Labels of depression and anxiety ripped away with a new name called a renewed mind all over this place. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we receive the names in this room. And we pray that you would continue to equip the church to go be the church and reach this lost world with the hope that is only found in the man named Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your precious in holy name, all of God's people said. Come on, church. All of God's people said, amen.